As I look out at the snow and cold, and I think about the series called Prodigal Family, uh, bringing practical help to our families, uh, I, I'm focused upon this story Jesus told about a father and two sons. And one day the younger son says to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. Meaning his inheritance, which because he was the younger son would have been one third of everything the father owned. In those days, this was incredibly disrespectful to the father to ask for this inheritance. This was like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. But the father surprises everyone by dividing up his property between the two sons. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and traveled to a distant country where he wasted everything that had been given to him. And then a famine comes and he begins to work for a pig farmer. And he ends up hungry eating corn cobs from the pig slop. In this desperate situation, he decides to return to his father, having learned an important lesson. And when he returns, he will confess his sin against God and against his father and ask for forgiveness and ask to be hired as a hired hand, never to be called a son again. So the son returns to his father and when he's still a long ways off, his father sees him and his father runs to hug and kiss him. The son begins his speech, but the father's not listening. Father says there will be a celebration, a party, a feast. Get a heifer and roast it, barbecued beef. A son who was lost is now found. All this time, the older brother was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. And as he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked, what's going on? And the servant told him, your brother came home. Your father ordered a feast and a party. The older brother stalked off angry and refused to join the party. His father came out and tried to talk to this son, but the oldest son disrespected his father by not listening or going to the party. The son said, look, for many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? This son of yours has squandered your money on immoral living and you go all out with a feast for him. The father said, Son, you don't understand. Everything that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate. Your brother was lost and now he's found. The story ends with the father celebrating with the younger son at the party and estranged from his older brother. So what does this word prodigal, prodigal family mean? One thing it means is reckless, doing something without thinking about the consequences. And this story has always been called the parable of the prodigal son because the younger son's behavior was seen as reckless. But we want to remind you the father, father figure is also reckless, loving his son, reckless with his love, reckless with his grace, reckless with his forgiveness, reckless with giving up his own rights. So the question is this, how might you and I be a little more reckless in our families like this father was in his? For years, I've taught uh, this statement uh, to youth groups, college kids, high school kids. If your faith doesn't work at home in your family, it doesn't work. And the reason I started saying this was I found a lot of high school and college students who thought their faith was working because they came to youth group or because they were in a Bible study or two every week. And they thought the test for faith was... Are you showing up to a Bible study? That, that's not a very strong test for faith. A far stronger test of faith is, is your faith 
working in your family. And so every year, Orchard for years now has taken one month in early in the year, January, February, March, and we focused on family. And we've said, what can the Bible, God's Word, teach us about family and how can we do family better? And whenever we teach this series, we're, we're, we're looking for principles that we can learn from God to bring into our families. Now, I've been praying for the last several days, and the truth is, I don't know what it is you need from the teaching I'm bringing this morning. I'm bringing a teaching with several points, which is quite common, and I don't know which one of these points, but I'm praying like mad that God would whisper to you, here's something I could take and use in my family uh, uh, in a good way. And we recognize that families come in all kinds of shapes. Whole bunch of people here this morning are single. And we just want to, for you to know that we know that you also have family system. You have nephews and nieces. You have brothers and sisters and parents. You're a part of a family. And we also know there are a lot of single parents sitting in this room right now. And we want you to know that God loves you as a family. He loves you as people. And he honors what you're working towards. We also know there's a bunch of empty nesters. Some of you I've talked to already. All you have left are adult children and grandchildren. That's great. God still wants you to invest. And some of you are great-grandparents. And you've got a whole hassle of uh, family. So uh, listen from your point of view. And uh, this familiar story, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, I noticed several things that I wanted to bring to you before I actually bring the lesson. And the first thing is that Jesus tells this story to two groups of people. Lots of times when Jesus is teaching, we don't know who he's teaching to in the New Testament. But in this case, Luke 15, 1 and 2, we know exactly who he's talking to. So here it is. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They were attracted to him. The riffraff of the religious world. Those who weren't accepted by the church in those days, they were attracted to Jesus. So it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the church leaders, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus looks out and he sees two groups of people, both groups of people break his heart. The sinners and tax collectors break his heart because the way they're living their lives, kind of out of bounds, uh, chasing the wrong things, and even though they're warming up to him, he sees and his heart is broken. And then the church uh, leaders, they break his heart because they look at what they call riffraff, these other folks, and they go, "Uh, we don't want to associate with them. They had a cold heart towards Jesus and towards these people. And so Jesus looked out and he had, and then as a genius storyteller, he starts to tell a story. A father has two sons, and one son represents the sinners and tax collectors, and the other son represents the Pharisees and church leaders. So he, he, I mean, Jesus was a master teacher, master teacher. And so he sees two groups, and he, and he labels one son with each group. Uh, the second thing I notice in the story is when Jesus looks out and sees these two groups of people, he doesn't tell just one story. He tells three stories in a row, and he barely takes a breath in between. And you may not have noticed that. Uh, This is in Luke chapter 15. I just showed you verses 1 and 2. And then he says this, Suppose one of you is a shepherd and loses one of a hundred sheep. 
What would you do? And he tells them what they would do. You would leave the 99 safely cared for, and you would go find the one sheep you're looking for. You would grab the sheep, you would pick it up, you'd bring it back, and you'd throw a party. Because that sheep that was lost is now found. And then he says, or suppose you're a woman with 10 coins. Now, one of the things I always love about Jesus, he doesn't leave women out. Even though he lived in a culture where women were left out, he doesn't even leave them out in his storytelling. He says, suppose you were a woman with 10 coins. And you lost one of the coins. What are you going to do? You're going to leave the nine on the table. You're going to go hunt all over the house, clean the house, find the one coin. And then what are you going to do? You're going to call your friends and neighbors and have a party because that coin that was lost is now found. You with me? Two stories. Now, without hardly taking a breath, here's the third story. A father has two sons. And he loses one of his sons. Now, let's tell the story in a parallel way. So the father leaves the one son running the farm, and he goes to find the son. Wait, that's the twist. Sheep, I go find it, have a party. Coin, I go find it, have a party. Son, far more important, I don't go chase and find him. Hmm. I wait. Huh. I think what Jesus is, the point he's making in his story is there's a big difference to God between sheep and coins and people. When it comes to sons and daughters, you can't go throw them over your shoulder, bring them back home and have a party. Because being in family requires something different, which is waiting and patience. Because you've got to give those sons room to figure it out. Whew. Interesting. Dealing with sons and daughters, human beings, is completely different. Third thing I notice in the story. I never saw this for years. There are two lost sons. Both of them with cold hearts towards the father. I didn't see that for so long because it's called the prodigal son. And we think the loser son is the one who takes off and wastes a third of the inheritance. And for years when I heard this taught, no one ever talked about the idea that the, the older son is just as lost. His heart is just as, just as cold towards the father. Both of them are lost. Both of them have cold hearts to the father. And the second, the older son, he's doing the right things for the wrong reasons. He stayed and worked on the farm. He went out every morning and worked all day, and then he would come home. But he was trying to get control over the father. His heart towards his own father was getting cold. How do we know that? Because when the father came to him and pleaded for him to come into the celebration, the son turned his back on the father and didn't come in. Why? His heart was cold. So it's possible for both of the sons to have a cold heart towards the father. And this happens all the time in families. The key difference in Jesus' story, is the hearts. The hearts of the sons are cold towards the father. The heart of the father, who represents God, his heart is warm towards the sons, towards both of them. Because he's in the middle of a celebration. Well, first of all, he's waiting in the driveway like Alice talked about last week. And that son who returns, the younger son, he runs out to give him a hug and he throws a party he hasn't already planned. And then the older son, he leaves the party and he goes out. He's got a big heart for his older son. He says, please come and celebrate with us. 
And that older son's heart is cold. So uh, several things uh, I want to bring to you. And again, I don't know which one will help you this morning. First one is we're called to, loving, to, be, to love family members in spite of hurts and heartbreaks. Okay, so number one, families are complicated and they require waiting and patience. If you've been married for a while, you get this. My wife Linda has been married to me for 48 and a half years. And it takes great patience to be married to me great patience. And some of you are like me, and your spouse gives great patience. And uh, mine is almost the opposite of what you would think. I love taking action before I think. I love it. I've been doing it for 48 and a half years. I always take action before I think. And uh, this requires great patience on my wife's part. So one day we're standing in the backyard. This is years ago. We're standing in the backyard and one of my sons says, hey, let's build a treehouse in that tree. I mean, we're talking a major treehouse where all 20 family members could be up there and party. And I say, yes, let's do it. And one of my sons says, let's load up the truck with lumber. Now there's other thinkers around. They think maybe you should stop and make a list. They think maybe you should have a diagram of how you would do it or a blueprint. Not me. Me and a couple of my sons jump in the pickup truck. We go to Menards and we know, you know, you're going to need two by fours. You're going to need two by sixes. You're going to need some other, you're going to need some screws. So we laterally fill up the truck. This costs some money with lumber and come back with no idea how we're building the thing. What limbs we're going to do it on, uh, how we're going to hold it up there. And then we just start. Now, this kind of behavior requires patience on the part of those who are planners. And thinkers. In fact, I told Linda I was going to tell this story yesterday. And again, she's still a thinker. She goes, well, I hope there's no one in the seats who works for the city because maybe you were supposed to have a permit or something. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love taking action before thinking. That's just how I was made. Um, uh, sometimes families are in a crisis and it takes great patience for all of them to get on the same page as they're walking through the crisis. Sometimes, uh, families are facing a financial issue that takes great patience. And it requires that um, all of us have patience. One of the things you need to know is God was reflecting something amazing, that living in families, being the father of two sons, is going to require patience. He waited. How long does it take to blow a third of his inheritance? Weeks, months, he waited, he waited. So there's waiting that you need to do, right? There's waiting you need to do right in your family. And um, families are different, family members are different. Um, so uh, when we first got married, I noticed that I had to give patience in certain places. Uh, with Lynn and her family. You see, leaving a family event in Linda's family is completely different than leaving a family event in my family. In the Bartlett family, when it's time to go, you say, hey, I think it's time to go. And you go to the door, you walk to the car, and you leave. You may or may not say goodbye. This is true. In the Ritter family, 
which I didn't know this. There's a leaving ritual <laughs> that probably lasts 45 minutes to an hour and a half. You say, it's time to go. And then you start four completely different conversations. <laughs> and then you go hug every person in the place and tell them a story. Then you go to the door and start two more conversations. And 45 minutes or an hour later, you might get to the car. Right? Patience. Patience. It's in big and little things where we need patience. Real important question. What's happening inside you while outwardly you're showing patience? Is resentment building? You have a son who graduates from college or a daughter and she takes her time to find that first job. Patience. Uh, you have a high school senior who's choosing a college and it's taking a long time to even focus on it. Patience without resentment. I know that young families, it takes more time than you think for everything. Get the kids ready for bed, more time than it ought to take. Get the kids ready for school, more time than it ought to take. What's happening? inside of you. What's happening? Number two, there will be hurt, pain, and disappointment in every family. What is your picture of family? I hope it's not the Facebook picture where every day is a highlight video. I hope it's not you look across at some family and say, wow, they don't have bad days. Because the reality is every family, every family has hurt disappointment and pain. Every family does. Look at the first human family in the Bible. Adam and Eve had their first two sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain murders Abel. I mean, it couldn't be much clearer. We're going to live in pain-filled families. Jesus tells this story. Who's suffering the pain? The father is. The one son wishes he was dead and takes a third of his inheritance. The other son has a very cold heart towards his father. That's pain. God calls you and me to love like this father, to lead with love in spite of the hurt and heartbreak. Both sons hurt their father, and the father keeps his heart warm, and he keeps reaching out to them. Now, let me give a, a caveat here. If you're being abused, emotionally or physically, in a family, then I'm not talking about that, and you need to get some self-help, and you need to have self-protection, and you need to put up some walls. If you're being hurt physically, some of you hear this, and, you, and, you're, and you're the people who say, well, I'll go home and try again. No, if you're being hurt physically or emotionally, you need to like, put up some walls for self-protection. But beyond that, uh, you need to um, love without resentment. Uh, does your, does, is your expectation set correctly? Is your expectation set? I look back now. And one of the interesting things I see is the th things I've done in my family to hurt our parents. And at the time, I didn't have the maturity to realize I was hurting my parents, right? We, 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 well, probably a lot of us older, we can look back and say, there were times where I really hurt my parents. 
So, for instance, one of the things I thought about was when uh, we, my wife and I dated a couple months, and then we decided to get married. And late one night, I was, uh, uh, Lynn and I were going to her parents' house to tell them we had decided to get married in a few months. And uh, they were very gracious and kind. And then they said one thing, her dad, they value education. She said, we're going to bless this. Even though it's kind of a surprise, we're going to bless this as long as you two stay in school, stay in college, because education is important. We said, well, sure. Obviously, that's the plan. Well, after we were married that summer, I think Lynn never went back to college. And within a few months, I had dropped out. And never did her dad or mom bring it up. Never did they say, you broke a promise. And I obviously went back later when I was ready, right? But that was so hurtful. Do you have things like that? I remember when we were young, we had four little babies. All four, I think, in diapers at one time because we had twins and they were all real close together. And I came to Cedar Falls, and again, I didn't see what this would do to my parents and Lynn's parents. I announced that I'm leaving the role of teacher and coach, and I'm going to start a Christian organization where you only get paid if you can get the money raised. And, you know, I was fired up. I felt like God had told me to do this in his own way. But they were like looking at me going, I'm sure on the inside, are you insane? You got four little kids, you got a house that's half constructed, and now you're going to throw your family on only if you can raise some money? Now, I didn't get how hurtful that would be to them, how scary that would be to them. So Linda's dad called me aside out on the patio, and he goes, a couple questions. Could you tell me more about this organization I've never heard of? And... Are you sure you can do this? And then he looked at me. I'm sure inside his head was screaming, You are an idiot. How did you get in this family? (laughs) And the only thing out of his mouth was, Okay. Okay. Patience. Important how we deal with our family. It's interesting. I, I, I get this privilege of telling stories. It's interesting that that story is one I'm telling. Why is that? It had great impact on me. You have chances to do that often. Families need to keep le- believing in each other. So much of the work of being in a family is to keep my insides right so that um, I can keep believing in our family members. I can keep seeing the positive. Um, I'm like that older son sometimes, where my motivation gets messed up and my heart gets hard. That's a primary difference in the story between the fathers and the sons. And some of you have this same problem. You married a spouse who you know loves hunting and fishing, or kayaking, or, and so when they take three or four or five or six weekends a year to go do that, you let them 
But maybe over time, you start to get resentful and holding it against them. Um, having a first, second, third, fourth child, we think will be fun. And then the reality comes. And it's a lot of work. Right? And that free time you used to have, you don't have anymore. And so what happens? Over time, you can get resentful towards the situation you find yourself in. It's a huge help to me to remember two things in those moments. One is, many of these things that get so hard, I actually chose. And the second one is, we live in a broken world. And we need to fight back that resentment. There's a very fine line in my heart between seeing today as a day filled with problems and seeing a day like today filled with opportunities. That's a very fine line. And can I keep my insides resentment-free so that I can see today as an opportunity? I'm just like that son. I'm often doing the the right things for the wrong reasons. My motivation is not clear. One definition of love in in the scriptures is this. When you weep, I'll weep. When you rejoice, I'll rejoice. I think the older son found himself in the opposite place. When his father was weeping because the younger brother was leaving, I bet the older brother was rejoicing, saying, good riddance to a loser. And months later, when the younger brother came back, I think the father was rejoicing and the older brother was weeping. Why did that loser come home? So you want to know if you're loving well? Do you weep when your friends and family weep? And do you rejoice when they rejoice? Uh, Number four, I have pieces of both sons in me, and I desperately need the father. And maybe you find yourself in that situation too. Loving my family when there's pain and hurt is one of those places where it's obvious that I need the father. I do. I'm going to close with the same exact story I closed with at the gathering this fall. And the reason I'm going to do it is because it describes so much what I feel as I uh, lead and live in a family. And it's a story of a mom who brings, and you've heard it, but I'm just reminding you of it. It's the story of a mom who brings her little boy to a piano concert where Ignis Paderewski is doing the concert in New York City, a black tie affair, evening gowns. This mom brings her son. He sits beside her. She hands him a peanut butter sandwich. She turns to talk to a friend. And this son sees the grand piano on the stage. Little boy. He jumps out of his seat. He runs up. He climbs on the bench of the grand piano. He puts his peanut butter sandwich up on the piano. And he starts to play the only song he knows, Chopsticks. And he's just playing away. And people in the audience begin to get mad. And one guy yells out, who brought that little kid? And if you're a mother, you know what you do. You lean down in the seat, you go, who did bring that little kid? 
Whose kid is that? Another guy yells out, another guy yells out. Ignis Paderewski looks out of the curtain and he looks at the audience and he realizes what he's going to do. He pulls on his tux and he comes out and he leans over the little boy who's sitting at the piano playing chopsticks and he begins to improvise a grand concerto over the top of chopsticks. And he leans down in the little boy's ear and he says, play, play, just keep playing. I tell the story because most days in doing family, I'm that little boy. And the best I can do is chopsticks, peanut butter fingers. But God can lean over me. And he can make family work in a deep, strong way that I could never do it. And he does. And so I pray that somehow you'll hear God say this morning, just keep going. I'll help you. It will be beautiful. It will. I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. Dear God, you are the good, good father. We sing about that. Good, good father. You are a good, good father, and we want to bring some of how you treat us into our families. So, Father, give us patience. Help us hold our words sometimes. Help us uh, have energy. Help us uh, believe in our family members. Help us uh, set aside selfishness. Help us realize that you want to do in our families uh, great and beautiful things. In spite of the fact that we are broken and we live in a broken world. Thanks, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.